are here with our special guest, Suzanne legendary. De- yes, Suzanne DePass oh, is a legend in this business. I mean, really on the t- on top for f- fifty years. Mm-hmm. Fifty years on top. Now the the, and the the folklore goes, and you never know, especially when it comes to Motown, like what's re- urban legend was. Was that you were the booking agent of the Cheetah Club in New York? Yeah, is that I how I started at Cheetah? How'd you get that job? Because I could dance. Wait a minute. Okay, okay. So the Cheetah, it's not the strip club, the no, Cheetah. No, no, Actually, what it was, um, I had gone to Syracuse University, hated it. Mm-hmm. You know, it started snowing in October, didn't thaw till May. Right. Mm. And uh, I had gone to a very private, small private school for my entire, you know, um, my entire life. Mm-hmm. Kindergarten through 12th grade in one school. So anyway, long story short, I go to this giant university I can't stand it. I fall in love with the captain of the football team who was graduating. And I was not going to be stuck up in those woods. And he was going to go play for the Washington Redskins. So I dropped out. Mm. And my mother insisted that I go to school somewhere. So I went, I enrolled at Manhattan Community College. Mm -hmm. And while there, my girlfriends uh, said, you know, you're such a stick in the mud. You're engaged to this guy. And that went down the old toilet sure. facility that, that was nothing uh-huh. <laughs> so um we went out they said come on this new club is opening on 52nd street and broadway and i said great so i'll go and uh, we were cute and we could dance uh-huh. and they thought we were cute and that we could dance so uh-huh. they gave us passes to come back on um other nights uh-huh. and lively up the place well it held like three thousand people did not serve alcohol it was pepsi that's a huge club Huge. Yeah. I mean, it was just a dance dance hall with live music because it was before the DJ era. Sure. So there were three bands, and each band would play the song of the band preceding it, you know, as they were ending. So it was uh-huh. always continuous music. How about right? that? So I was, you know, always very much in love with my opinions. And so <laughs> <laughs> I would tell the uh, managers whom I came to know, this band is great. Bring them back. This band sucks. We can't dance to this, mm-hmm. you know. And and they were regulars, so we, you know, we would all cluster around, drink our Pepsi or or Seven Up, and it was hot dogs, popcorn, Seven Up, and Pepsi. Why Why didn't they have a liquor license? Well, I don't think they could get one. Number right, one, right. But and in those days, all you had to do in New York was you, you only had to be eighteen to drink. Yep. Sure. And some of us started a little bit before then, <laughs> uh-huh. passing. Um, but anyway, they they didn't, they weren't interested. I don't think in a liquor license. Yeah. They they wanted this big dance hall where people paid an admission, and came to dance. They you know charged for their sodas and whatever. They had a boutique, and this was in the days of, um, you know, sort of that mod. Uh huh. You know, Carnaby Street. Sure. All those kinds go-go of go-go dancing, go-go dancing, twiggy, and twiggy, right, all that, and the. Uh, Cheetah Club became this sort of mecca for the society people in New York as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. They would come by and they would dance and have fun and then they'd go on about their business because it was right on 52nd Street and Broadway. What's there now? An office building. Oh. And it had been a theater. Mm-hmm. So this was diagonally across from the Ed Sullivan Theater. Oh, yeah, oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, okay. So right there. Uh-huh. And um, so one day they came to me and said, because after my... Uh, unsolicited opinions had become sort of legendary. They said, listen, we do auditions 
on Tuesdays. Won't you come and sit in? And, you know, the guy that's booking the bands, I mean, he must have been all of 40, 41, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but he mm-hmm. was not a consumer like I was. Mm-hmm. And so you can work with our guy, Jack, and, um, you know, help him understand kind of what you're looking for. Sure. You know, I'm the consumer index, yes. right? Yeah. So at that time, uh, Manhattan Community College, BMCC, as we call it, mm-hmm. Bor- Borough of Manhattan Community College, was about two blocks away from Cheetah. So after my classes on Tuesday, I would walk over to this. Now, you know, every nightclub in the daytime looks like oh, hell. Yeah. Know, yeah. And it stinks. Oh, right. I was going like, to say what it smells like. like after a bad night. You yeah. Know? So, um, and sure enough, the bands would be lined up. Um, and in those days, everybody had a Hammond B3 organ with a Leslie speaker. Uh-huh. It was schlepping in and <laughs> schlepping out. And everybody would sing because it was all cover bands yeah. then. And they would all sing um like an array of five songs were the big ones but the most um performed song at auditions was respect uh-huh. by aretha franklin uh-huh. which nobody could do by which the way which nobody yeah. could do and they also couldn't spell it was uh-huh. like r e s p o r t you know things like <laughs> <laughs> so, so um i looked over jack's shoulder as he was filling out the contracts you know and he kind of explained to me this is union minimum, and this is the 10% agency fee that I get, meaning Jack. Mm-hmm. And um, that went on for about a month or so, maybe four or five times. And they came to me and they said, listen, we think it would be great to bring this operation inside. And, um, you know, you would be our talent coordinator. Mm-hmm. And we'll pay you $125 a week. And um, you'll just run it from inside. Wow. And I went show business yes yes <laughs> yes and, yeah. and that is how you came to the attention of mr barry gordy correct now uh were, before you became associated with motown were you a fan of motown's music absolutely yeah. i would stand online in the rain at the apollo to see the motown review mm-hmm. you know the, as they call it the motortown review yeah and you know i grew up in harlem so I had a very eclectic sort of upbringing in that we lived in Harlem, summered in Martha's Vineyard. I went to private school, but wow. I hung out in the playground. You know sure. what I mean? It was, yeah. So I belonged. I mean, I felt like I belonged anywhere Best and of everywhere. Both worlds. You're, well, Best you're, of all worlds. Yes. And your 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 parents affluent? No, very middle class. But my my maternal grandfather was a physician, mm-hmm. and so he had um, three daughters, of which my mother was the eldest. Mm-hmm. And he really provided a lot of the sort of um, upper middle class that considered sure. at that time for a, for a black family, it was definitely a generation beyond the domestics. Yeah, he had put himself through um, school. He immigrated from Jamaica, and he was that real Jamaican work work ethic. And he provided for his family and. Um, Bought the house in Martha's Vineyard in 1944, mm. um, way ahead of his time. Practiced in Harlem, and um, so while my parents only stayed married till I was three years old, my grandfather was really the father figure in my life. Right, right. Yeah. And so, and the 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 name De Pass mm-hmm. is it has a Creole um, uh, origin. You know, it's it's that uh, my mother says we're really Caribbean cocktails uh-huh. because <laughs> it, you know. Uh, I haven't done that um, family tree, yeah. But Mm -hmm. um, I think we find that up in the tree, there's some Scotsmen and some Frenchmen and uh, some slaves, and you know, yeah, like that. 
And so, so how did you meet Barry Gordy? How did that meeting happen? Well, now I'm ensconced at uh, Cheetah, completely convinced that I am in show business. Right? <laughs> well, you were, I, you know, and and really, I was because I was a buyer. Sure, I was hiring these bands. We paid them scale, and then uh, two disc jockeys who were famous in New York at the time, Frankie Crocker and Rocky G. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Legends. decided that they wanted to do promotions on Sundays. We were dark on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And so I was put in charge of the Sunday tea dances, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Only they were booking name talent. So they had uh, Chuck Jackson, uh, Lloyd Price. You know, they mm-hmm. had all kinds of people um, that I got to see, and it was fantastic. Mm. And I was Yes. Right. You know, and I yeah. had to handle the security people and the people behind the counter and, you know, all of that. Kind of, you know, it was like Eloise at the Plaza. Uh-huh, right? and, uh-huh. and I was having a blast. So one Sunday, they booked Patti LaBelle and the Bluebells. Wow. wow. And a friend of mine who was a musician, uh, Jimmy Castor, said, you should meet Cindy Birdsong. She's great. You guys would hit it off. Blah, blah. So when they came, I went to the dressing room and I said hello to Patty and, you know, Nona and everybody. And I said, Cindy, I'm a friend of Jimmy's. And she said, oh, great. So we just yada, 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 you know, hit it off. And um, some weeks later, she called me up and she said, "Um, I've been asked to join the Supremes. What do you think? I said, are you crazy? (laughs) Of course. (laughs) No, don't do it. (laughs) Um, Because Florence Ballard was... um, not going to be with the group anymore. Yeah. So Cindy, who's my friend now, we've you know been out to dinner a couple of times when they've been in New York, and so by this time, I said, um, she, she was she called me and she said, I'm coming to New York. It's my first Ed Sullivan show. Wow. And I said, I'm going to take you out. We're going to celebrate. Uh-huh. And so, uh, in New York at that time, if you were black, it was very hard to count on getting a cab. Yeah. You know, they would kind of roll up on you and see and think you were going to Harlem and then zoom off. Right. So I did what I thought made the most sense was I rented a limo uh-huh. that I couldn't afford. Yeah. And um, so I, uh, with all the one-way streets, they, the limo picks me up in front of Cheetah, but Broadway is southbound. So mm-hmm. we went around all the one-way streets coming to rest at the stage door. 52nd Street going west. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting in the stage door, hands neatly folded, dying to go inside. Uh Desperate to go inside. But my mother raised a polite young woman. And so I wasn't invited in. I'm not going in. Right. And Cindy came out and said the words that changed, really changed my life forever. Suzanne, Mr. Gordy's car has gone on an errand. Do you think we could give him a ride? Uh Oh. There it is. And come January 1st, 2018, that is the ride that's lasted 50 years. Wow. Wow. Well, of course, he gets in the car, practically dislocates his neck, (laughs) immediately thinks I'm a hooker. (laughs) Because there was no other logical explanation for why this teenager is giving him a ride in her limo. That's what he was thinking. Uh huh. So uh, we took him to his appointment, which was to view some artwork at a gallery, mm. and um, waited for him. And he said, "Well, listen, why don't you and Cindy join 
me for dinner. Mm -hmm. And they were staying at the Essex House on Central Park South. Sure. So I had never seen a human being treated the way he was mm -hmm. in my life up until mm -hmm. that point. Mm -hmm. I'd seen a lot, but I hadn't seen that, mm -hmm. where people were leaping and twirling and bringing phones to the table, and his kids were there, and entourage. And, you know, I was like, dang, wow. yeah, I guess this is, this is something, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I, you know, I was like a sponge taking it all in. And so, um, and you were aware of who he was and how important oh, yeah. he was. Yeah, yes. definitely. I mean, I, I knew that he was the founder of Motown. Sure. And, and how I, old were you? I was 19. 19. At wow. that point. Wow. And so, so he was impressed with you. He knew mm -hmm. what you were doing and why you were there. And so what was the next step to... Well, there were kind of a couple of steps. I, I, I'll get to the punchline, which is simply that um, Christmas 1967, Cindy invited me to join her in Miami Beach, where they were appearing at the Deauville Hotel. Not the Eden Rock. The Deauville. Uh-huh. They had subsequently, uh, Diana as a solo appeared at the, the Eden Rock. Mm -hmm. But this particular time, they were at the Deauville Hotel. Mm -hmm. And in the penthouse, there were two-story penthouses. And so... One two-story penthouse was Barry Gordy and his kids, and there were rooms off of those penthouses and stuff. Then there was a room that connected to the other penthouse, which was Diana Ross and her family and all of that. Mm -hmm. And Cindy and I had the two queen-size beds in the connecting room, <laughs> which was like the traffic area between the two uh -huh. things. And I would sit with Mr. Gordy and his kids and his entourage every night for two shows, because in those days there was the dinner show and yeah. the late show. Mm -hmm. And during that time... I, um, he put me through my paces. You know, he liked to play games of logic. Like, mm. um, okay, if a plane crashes on the border of Italy and Switzerland, what side do they bury the survivors on? <laughs> I would go, typically, Mr. Gordy, they don't bury survivors. <laughs> so, so, you know, it was games of logic and we'd, we'd be going down to the show and he'd say, a bank of elevators, six elevators. Or maybe it was four elevators. I can't remember now. And um, he'd say, okay, $5. Which one's coming first? Uh -huh. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Very competitive, very engaging, and actually a lot of fun. Uh -huh. So by that time, I had changed jobs, and I was working for another company booking acts. Now, um, it was um, Howard Stein had made a deal with Lee Goober, who was at that time married to Barbara Walters. Mm -hmm. And he had five theaters, uh, Westbury Music Fair. The Latin, no, West, Westbury. Barbara's father owned the Latin Quarter. Quarter. Yeah, yeah, but her husband owned these five theaters, and mm -hmm. it was um, Westbury Music Fair, Shady um, Painters Mill, Shady Grove. You know, there were like mm -hmm. five of them across the country. Mm -hmm. And at that time, those those theaters were doing book shows, and in between the book shows, they were dark. So Howard, who had stolen me from Cheetah, mm -hmm. said. I want to put pop shows in on the dark weekends. What are book shows? Book shows are Carousel, My Fair Lady. Oh, I see. You know, yeah, where right. where it's a book musical mm -hmm. you know, right. and, and singing and, and mm -hmm. costumes and all of that. And most of those theaters were in the round anyway. Mm -hmm. And so they had their, you know, special kind of presentations. Mm -hmm. So um, then I began booking people like Sonny and Cher and, you know, pop acts as well. But by New Year's Eve, 1967, going into 68, I had spent this Christmas week basically hanging out with not only, you know, the Supremes and all of that, but with Mr. Gordy. Mm -hmm. 
And I felt comfortable enough at the party after the second show to say to him, um, you know, Mr. Gordy, I do have a, a new job and I'm having a terrible time booking Motown acts. Mm -hmm. I can get, you know, this one and that one and, and Sonny and Cher and I can do all of this, but I can't find out about Smokey and I can't find out about Martha Reeves and mm -hmm. I can't, you know. And he looked at me and he said, I don't know what's wrong, but maybe we need someone like you to help us straighten it out. Wow. What, I mean. Wow. The forethinking on his part, too, though, to see what she had. No, exactly. Exactly. Now, we're going to take a quick break with Suzanne to pass, but oh, my God, so many <laughs> questions. I just love it. And yeah, I was talking earlier about the whole folklore and urban myths surrounding Motown, and it mm -hmm. still is fascinating because, exactly. you know, you try to figure out where the magic happens, how some a phenomenon tried sure. to de deconstruct where it actually, and how do you deconstruct magic? How do you de deconstruct kismet? You know, how do you keep music playing. How do you keep that's a good, we'll answer all of those questions after the break. Girl, that squatty potty is a brilliant. You know, you talk about some of the great designs of the 20th century, the 21st century. You think things they're doing over at NASA, at the, you know, at the space. In the Bahamas? Uh, no, at the Space Propulsion NASA! Laboratory. That's what I, when I think of squatty potty, I think of really, really smart people who really understand what we need in our lives. Well, they also understand the way the body works. Yeah. And you'd think that, you know, a doctor would have thought about this 100,000 years yeah. ago. Yeah. Squatty potty offers the ultimate in complete elimination. The science is simple. Squatting at the toilet unkinks the colon, allowing your body to shed, you know, all that stuff that's blocked up in there. Mm. Squatty Potty offers multiple toilet stool designs, making your... your porcelain throne fit for any king or what or else? queen. Holla! <laughs> Join the movement. Get it? By visiting squattypotty.com slash rue and receive a free bottle of Fruity Booty Toilet Spray with a purchase <laughs> of $20 or more. And never forget, a happy colon is, is a happy, happy life. life. We are back with Suzanne DePass, who has been just at the top of her game for 50 years, really, running the Motown game, you know, learning from the chairman, you know, learning yeah. from Barry Gordy himself, and also coming to the table with so much knowledge. You know, I've always been interested in your background, uh, uh, you know, how a New York City girl with brown skin is able to sidestep some of the sort of uh, social booby traps mm -hmm. that uh, we all have been faced with. How, uh, you know, I'm going to continue with this story, though, of, of, of the Motown story, but I've always been interested in that with you. I must be have been a very lonely existence because there are very few peers who could relate to you bopping around in limos and being the, um, uh, the uh, you know, casting the, the the bands for major nightclubs and all that stuff was was it lonely did you find yourself with not many peers who could relate well you know i i that's such an interesting question Rue, because um i don't think i noticed a lot of that i mean i did have friends mm -hmm. and i've always been sort of my mother says a social butterfly in the sense that i really like people i'm an only child mm -hmm. you know so i had to have friends in order to have playmates, mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. But I've also always been very good on my own. Mm -hmm. I'm not, um, I've never felt 
lonely. Mm-hmm. I've been alone, but I've never felt lonely. Mm-hmm. I am, but for me, it wasn't even. I understand what you're asking, mm-hmm. and I get it because you'd think that's. Yeah. It was more growing up knowing Suzanne's name and being a singer mm-hmm. and wanting to attain somebody like Suzanne to manage you or work a record or you know help as an artist. To me, I was always drawn to her because of the fact that she was a woman mm-hmm. amongst men mm-hmm. and you held your own and being a woman and, and knowing where you are and how you did it to me that was more of the the interesting thing is you not only hung in there but you hung in there with titans that yeah. were men and you were the only woman for uh, well first of all let's let's understand that Barry Gordy was way ahead of his time putting a lot of responsibility on women mm-hmm. and it started with his two sisters Gwen and Anna mm-hmm. And then Esther Edwards also. Um, he really, he had a strong mother, Bertha, mm-hmm. and the family of eight kids. And so um, I think that he was very comfortable mm-hmm. in his relationship to females. Mm-hmm. But what was something that perplexed me uh, for many years was, and I finally got up the courage to ask him one day, um, I said, you know, Mr. Gordy, can you tell me why everybody thinks I'm sleeping with you? <laughs> and I said, you know, it's it's been obvious to me because of the way I'm treated sometimes. And you and I know that I came here to work. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of wonder if you know why. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he said, well, I never denied it. <laughs> 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 because you know when you're not doing that you want to be recognized for sure. your work yeah. and your thoughts and your ideas and you know accomplishments whatever they may be um not necessarily for your mistakes right and i made a bundle believe me but um but he was also known as someone who liked the ladies yes so that and was... i think that's still the case yeah mm. his yeah old butt Sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's he's such a charming guy. He you know? really is. And, and sharp I, as a tack. And sharp as a tack. He's a, a no-salt vegan. And, uh, you know, he's. we were out the other night at the opening of a play, and, um, you know, it was like old times, mm-hmm. all of us, you know, that are close to him. Yeah. And um, you know, I think the reason that my friendship with him has lasted and he still thinks I work for him, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I never tell him I don't. You know, yeah. he calls me and I'm in a meeting. I leave and I take the call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, I think it's because we never did the uglies. Right. You know, right. because that can really mess you up. Yeah. It does change. And, the boundaries you know, are, yeah. are really mixed when you do that. Um, some people are able to do that. Uh, most are not. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me about uh, finding the Jackson 5. How did they come to your uh, your consciousness? Well, after the Miami, mm-hmm. he said, um, well, listen, um, I'm going to fly you out in a couple of weeks because I'm breaking in a new secretary and it's very important, blah, blah, blah. Well, meanwhile, she didn't last. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> so, so um, I get flown out to um, Detroit and um, I was the shock of my life. This big, beautiful, they flew me first class, this big maroon uh Fleetwood picks me up and then we arrive at these little dinky houses on West Grand Boulevard Hmm. and I went to Ronnie Garnett who was the driver and I said "Um, I'm supposed to meet Mr. Gordy at his office (laughs) and he said well this is it 
I went, no. Uh, you know, the little Hitsville building? Yeah, yeah. So his office had a desk in it that was so big. It was one of the bedrooms of the house. He had to turn sideways to get behind it. <laughs> and there wasn't enough room to sit in front of the desk. So I'm sitting perpendicular to him. <laughs> He's over there. <laughs> so, and I really felt like this is some Alice in Wonderland shit right here. This is uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. Can you say that? Yeah. Yes. Okay. yes, of course. Okay. So anyway, um, I followed him around that whole day. Oh, by the way, they brought him breakfast. Now, my plane had taken off at 7. And by the time, you know, you pick up an hour going to Detroit from mm -hmm. New York. So I hadn't had breakfast. Mm. But they bring him a tray of breakfast and, you know, kept it moving. Oh, okay. <laughs> nothing no, for nothing you. For me. Uh huh. No, sir. So anyway, I followed him around that whole day. We went down to the studio and there was Smokey Robinson and Myron Gay. And do, you, it, do you remember what songs they were working no, on at the I time? Uh. No, I, I, I uh. think I was... I, I was so thunderstruck uh -huh. that my ears closed up and my eyes opened about, yeah. you know, four feet. Oh, my goodness. And then we went to the Greystone Ballroom where he, he had bought the Greystone Ballroom and he was hitting golf balls. And then we went to a couple of meetings and, you know, I'm just tagging along. Mm -hmm. So we go back to his house and the kids are there and I know them from Christmas and it's all high and good and bye. Mm -hmm. And finally, they take me to the Harlan House Motel mm -hmm. Friday night late. And uh, Saturday, no, in the waiting for me in the room is a portable record player and a stack of what's called acetates uh -huh. um, for me to evaluate. So, of course, I do. And it's all junk, basically. Uh -huh. they, they just dump the can, you know, the reject, rejects on yeah. it. And uh, so, but I dutifully listen to them all day Saturday, all night Saturday. I don't hear from anybody all day Sunday. I don't hear from anybody. I'm leaving on Monday. And so um, I called the one number that I had or the person who had dropped me off Friday night. And I said, Billy, this is Suzanne DePass. And I'm leaving in the morning. I haven't heard from anybody. And um, tell Mr. Gordy I said bye, yeah, basically. Right. He said, just wait. Wait right there. Calls me back. He said, be downstairs in 15 minutes. We're going bowling. You can't make this stuff up. <laughs> you know. So I have on my little bomber teller suit and mm. off I go bowling. Mm -hmm. And he takes me back to the house afterwards and we sit down. He says, you know, I think you're pretty bright and um, I want to hire you. I said, well, I couldn't possibly come to work for you without a contract. Right. He said, I don't do contracts. Of course, we lasted a long time. Uh, uh -huh. I never had one. Um, and so I was hired for the... Um, from Motown, and he sent me back to New York. Starting as a secretary or as an no. assistant? Creative assistant. I love that. Because I couldn't type. Hey. And <laughs> he, he, he knew that other people could type, mm -hmm. but I could think, you sure. know, and I could, I, I could engage in conversations that were, um, you know, implied taste and, yes. you know, stuff like that. Anyway, yeah. so I go back to New York. Long story short, I finally moved to Detroit. Um, I did call him after I was getting paid every week. And I was there in my five flight walk up on East 57th Street getting this money. Mm -hmm. And so I called one day. I mean, I'd gotten about like four checks. Mm -hmm. And I said, Oh, uh, Mr. Gordy, it's Suzanne. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, listen, I just, you know, I'm here and I'm getting paid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just wanted to know. And he cut me off. He said, Do you think I'm stupid? And I went, no, sir, I do not think you're stupid. He said, I know I hired you. And when I have something for you to do, I'll let you know. Mm -hmm. hmm. 
So that was one of the first big object lessons uh, that I, I learned from him. So we, I moved to Detroit. I'm in this apartment in uh, 1300 East Lafayette. Diana Ross has the penthouse. Cindy is on an upper floor. I'm on an upper floor. Several of the executives, you know, it became like the place where people who weren't from Detroit lived. Yeah. Who right. worked for the company. And one day I get a call. And by the way, this is all before cell phones and texts and mm -hmm. fax. I mean, they had something called facsimiles mm -hmm. before it was shortened to fax. Yeah. And um, Bobby Taylor, who was an artist on the label, calls yeah. me up and he says, and I the, want you to Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's Bobby Taylor? Right. That, uh -huh. that Bobby Taylor. Does your mama know about uh -huh. Bobby Taylor? And Cheech and Cheech, Tommy Chong. Tommy Chong. Yeah. And um, he said, I want you to come down to my apartment. There's something I want you to see. I said, Bobby Taylor, I am not coming down to your apartment. <laughs> nice try. Right. He said, no, 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 it's nothing like that. Come on down. So I go down, and there, strewn across his living room, are these kids. And he claps his hands, and he says, okay, this is Suzanne DePass. She works for Barry Gordy, because they've been trying to get an audition, uh -huh. I found out later. Uh -huh. And um, so they got up, and they sang like three songs a cappella. Hair on the back of my neck went, oh, powie. Of course, of course. Can you imagine? And, oh. And I was like, wow. And so I went back upstairs, tried to reach Mr. Gordy. It was after hours. Got him the next day. I said, oh, Mr. Gordy, I saw the best act yesterday. You cannot believe it. He said, great. I said, wait till you see these kids. He said, kids? I don't want any kid acts. Do you know how much trouble Stevie Wonder is? <laughs> and I went, Oh, but these kids are, he said, no, no, no. It's too much trouble. It's the court approval. It's this, it's that. And, yeah, 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 yeah. and I think my big claim to fame is I did not take no for an answer. Oh, my good. Thank God. Right? Thank <laughs> I'm God. not saying they wouldn't have found another way in, but it mm -hmm. happened to be on my watch. And I got the audition and they were eventually signed. Did you, have you ever felt that kind of reaction from watching someone's audition after or since? Yeah, I've had, you know, I've had, uh, you were speaking about Thelma Houston. Mm -hmm. When I first saw Thelma perform in Las Vegas, when she had the Sun Shower album, mm -hmm. I was blown away and ended up signing her to Motown. And when I saw Lionel Richie with the Commodores at the audition, I was blown away mm. because he sang a Jimmy Webb song, The Wichita Lineman. And I thought, because wow. I had such eclectic mu mu yeah. musical taste that I thought, wow. That's pretty cool. And he had a great voice. Oh, my goodness. It's just amazing. Um, we're we're going to go on as long as she can go on. Okay, so we'll just cut this part out. As long as she can do it, we'll, we'll you tell me when you have to go. Okay. Because I, I, there's so much here. Mm -hmm. So, um, all right. So let's fast forward into um, Motown moving to Hollywood. Mm -hmm. How long? What's that, honey? Then he's saying, you oh, want to oh take yeah, a we break. take a break. Okay, so, so. Mm -hmm. all right, so Suzanne, we're going to take a quick break right okay. now. But I want to talk about Motown moving to Hollywood and venturing into film mm -hmm. and your your ascension in the company. So mm -hmm. we'll take a break. We'll be right back with Suzanne to pass. Girl ZipRecruiter is changing the game. Look, if you're looking for people to work for you, right, you got to go to ZipRecruiter. You're the boss. 
You're the casting director. You're looking for people to work for you. You can post your job to 100 job sites with just one click. Actually, it's 100 plus what job sites. Wow. Zip Recruiter. And then you know what they do? Their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. And that's why Zip Recruiter is different because unlike other job sites, Zip Recruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It goes out and finds them. Oh. Okay. In, listen to this. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. 24 hours, Michelle. I mean, think of the things that could happen in 24 hours. That's such a short amount of time. They'd be waiting for months trying to find the right person. You can get it in 24 hours. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. All and Oh, yeah, you guys, you know, you can't do one of our things without getting a discount, right? Oh. Okay. So right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right. Reset free. Four-letter words started with an F, F-R-E-E. Just go to <laughs> ZipRecruiter.com slash Rue. ZipRecruiter.com slash R-U. Get, get to it one more time. One more time. ZipRecruiter.com slash Rue. We are back with Suzanne DePass. We're talking about her her life at Motown and, and what an incredible story it is. Is there a book coming from mm. Suzanne DePass? Yeah, you know, I keep thinking I have more time to write it than I actually do. But um, yes, and I also am working on a project with uh, Sony Pictures Television to do um, a limited series. I love that. Yeah. Based on the book. I love it. Now, uh, Vanessa Williams has played you before. Mm -hmm. Who would who would you get to play you now? Do you know? Oh, I don't know. I, I know. I, I, I guess you're supposed to think about that. Yeah. But... I would love to discover somebody. I mean, sure. I think part of the fun of it would be that, um, you know, I would be open to not only people who are known today, mm -hmm. but by the time I get it done, there'll probably be a whole lot more famous people <laughs> to choose from. Right. But in, in, in hindsight, looking mm -hmm. at your career and your life and, and being able to study your own energy as a, as, a, as a human on this planet, what is it, what is the thing that makes Suzanne DePass really tick? What is it that, that years ago, uh, Matthew Anderson said to me, you know, Rue, what it is about you? You get so excited about things. Yeah. Your your eyes start lighting up and it's like a, a jukebox, you know, or, or a pinball machine. You start going, ding, 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 ding. Yeah. You know, and I go, oh, right, that is, that is. What, what is that thing for Suzanne DePass? Um, I think it's a number of things, probably, a little cocktail going on in there, but one thing for sure that I, I, I believe about myself is that I'm a storyteller. Mm -hmm. I love to not only tell a good story, I love to read a good story. Mm -hmm. I, I, I love that whole place of imagination and of um, even true events. Mm -hmm. You know, just the whole notion of being part of that process mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. something that just makes me want to get up in the morning. Well, what, what, but what about you that, that makes you such a great executive? Because listen, people come and go in this town and there's a lot of people. I'm sure there's like, like you could fill a town with all the A&R people and all the, the show <laughs> oh, business yeah. people who have ever passed through here. What is it that makes you such a great executive? Well, thank you. Um, I, I think that I'm curious and innately curious mm -hmm. about a lot of stuff. But also, I really love what I do, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that um, 
I was laughing the other day when I was talking about the fact that still, the word still has become a big part of my life. Are you still working? Mm. Are you still happy doing it? Mm -hmm. um, Gee, Suzanne, you still look good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, things mm -hmm. like that. And I think that um, it's such an interesting word because in, in many respects it means quiet and docile and, you know, sort of still. Mm -hmm. But it also means enduring and it also means, you know, kind of that fortitude of... Uh, and so I am still at it. I, I believe, like um, the song goes, use me till you use me up, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I think a lot of people aspire to retire. Yeah. And, and that is the end game for them. Yeah. And not so in my case. I right. mean, I... I'm as excited today as I ever was about projects and people and putting those things together. And, and um, I think it does stem from being an only child because mm -hmm. this business is so much a team effort. Mm -hmm. Anything that gets done, first of all, is a miracle. And on top of it, it's a miracle that you create with other people. Yeah. And no one person does it. I have wonderful support. My business partner, Madison, my longtime colleague, Suzanne Costin, my Right and left hand, Martin Derrick, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. uh, John McCarthy, who's been driving me for over 30 years, mm -hmm, you know, things mm -hmm, like that. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of stability and a lot of continuity in in my life, which I really appreciate also. Yeah. Nobody now, does it alone. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Now, Motown 25 was a huge benchmark for your career as mm -hmm. a television producer. Had you produced television shows before that? Not on my own. I had um, finished a couple of things that were started and I had done one TV movie, I think, but I'd never done anything like that. Right. And it's funny because it plays on PBS as a fundraising tool. Mm -hmm. um, um, and and I, I watched a little bit of it. I remember when it came on too, because at the time I was in a place where I didn't have a television. I had to go, I was living in Atlanta. I had to go across town to some people's house uh, where it was going to be, they were going to be watching it. And it was such an event because uh, for so many reasons, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, I'm a big Motown fan, as is most of America, most, most of the world. Uh, when, when you think of Motown 25, what are the top three things that come to mind in putting it together? Um, first thing is that Mr. Gordy didn't think anybody would be interested. You mean networks or the public? Anybody. Anybody. And uh, so the next time I spoke to him about it, I had sold it to uh, NBC and we had Richard Pryor as the host and it was it was going. Wow. So there was that. Um, being told by Michael Jackson's lawyer that we couldn't film Bi Billie Jean. Hmm. Because uh, he was acting on Michael's wishes that he would perform it for the people in the house, mm -hmm. but he didn't want it to be because it wasn't a Motown song mm -hmm. and blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So having to negotiate that with Michael and inviting him to the uh, editing bay. Mm -hmm. And if he didn't like it, we would take it out. And of course it changed the complete trajectory uh, of his oh, career. Yeah. I just saw it the other day. It's right. breathtaking. And uh, I think, um, well, there's a tie between Marvin Gaye's performance mm -hmm. And Linda Ronstadt and Smokey Robinson mm -hmm. duet. I mean, mm -hmm. those, but you know, it, it's like 
each one of those segments was in its own way a baby, you know, mm -hmm. that you were nurturing and cultivating and getting all those people there. And um, what was wonderful was watching the the reconnectivity of those early friendships and yeah. those early uh, relationships and stuff oh, like the, that. Oh, the duet between the Four Tops and the Temptations oh, yeah, is absolutely. hilarious. Absolutely. It is so much fun. And the joy on their faces and the camaraderie mm -hmm. was brilliant. Yeah. Was that Marvin's last public uh, TV appearance? I think so. I wow. think so. Um, and he also sang a song that was on Columbia at the time. Did he do sexual no, healing? No, no, no. He didn't do sexual healing. He did what's um, what's going. Oh, what's on. going on? That's yeah. right. I gotta go back and watch but it he, again. It's been it's so yeah. Brilliant. It's magical, actually. Brilliant. We did. Um, I will have to get you guys um, the box set that we did. That's why. Have... That's why it's on uh, PBS. PBS. But the box set, if you like the show, you will love the box set because it has everything you'd ever want to know about behind the scenes there's another 20 hours oh of interviews oh and rehearsal footage and stuff like one of the funny things about marvin was you know he played the piano mm -hmm. you know he had that intro when he was yes yeah, speaking about yeah, talking okay so originally he was supposed to come up from on an elevator mm -hmm. you know the piano was supposed to lift mm -hmm. up and in rehearsal he got stuck <laughs> down there <laughs> and so we have some of that footage oh, right? oh that's nice. funny and, <laughs> and he is so hilarious because he's stuck down oh. in the basement of the of the theater oh. and so we couldn't obviously do that because it was unreliable but yeah. you know things like that 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 happened that... what is he, I, I don't want to dwell I, there's a certain sexuality there's a sweetness and a smooth i can't even describe it about mm -hmm. him that is just and so gorgeous yeah. he just had it he just had yeah. it yeah. and you know a lot of people have and this brings us to an interesting point too because you've seen a lot of brilliant acts come and go and mm -hmm. mostly go and mostly, mostly go. aren't able to sustain it or you know you that thing in rich dad poor dad where you, you, you they talk about how if a, a poor people win the lotto five years from now they're broke they're yeah. broke yeah. because they, they're uh, their relationship with abundance hasn't been updated. Mm -hmm. As as you've seen these people coming, is there anything you could say to them? Is there anything you could do? The ones who are able to sustain it, what's the secret? I think it's, oh boy, um, each one is individual. Mm -hmm. um, but if you look at Diana Ross, if you look at Smokey Robinson, Stevie Wonder, um, Otis Williams of The mm -hmm. Temptations, that they listened at some point to more than the immediate stimuli, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. They could see beyond it and, and know that even though they may have made mistakes, that those mistakes weren't irreparable and they could be corrected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think um, I think there, there's a little bit of that because... So many of those kids grew up with absolutely nothing mm -hmm. to speak of. And you talk about an abundance awareness or an mm -hmm. abundance acceptance. Um, you know, I saw just how much the material um, transformation impacted them in terms of it was more important to front yes. than to... Actually, save. yeah, and and yeah. save and own and mm -hmm. own what you're doing, mm -hmm. and and be there for yeah. for the experience. And look, a lot of the acts did not. The ones that you know, uh, I think Otis is one of the few that uh, has survived, and and Duke, 
mm-hmm. uh, of the Four Tops, who were not songwriters per se. Mm-hmm. You know, Stevie, Marvin, um, Smokey, those artists that really created their own material mm-hmm. had that cushion of regular income right. coming. But the artists, the record would have to sell or they would have to perform mm-hmm. or sell some merch. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They weren't getting the performance royalties from the radio stations and the clubs and you know right. commercials, stuff so, like that. So who owns Motown now? I know it was enveloped by Universal Music, but is it sectioned off in different parts like... The images, the, there's the, 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 the catalog of music, the master tapes, mm-hmm. the, there's the logo, there's the images. Is it is it all one lump or is it sectioned off? Well, to my knowledge, a man by the name of Harry Wanger is really responsible for the catalog mm-hmm. and the repackaging of the music. But it's all under Universal. Harry Wanger's done a great job. He did mm-hmm. this thing for 20th Century Fox uh, for Stephanie Mills that was brilliant mm-hmm. because it's, it had p- things in there that only a fan would yeah. know about yeah you know well you know we i signed stephanie who's one of my oh oh my god that burt Backrack album is a fine i yeah. listen to it all the time well she was at the opening i told you i went out with barry the other night uh-huh. and she was at the opening stephanie and i hadn't seen her in years wow and, uh one of my Madison and I are looking to bring her back to Broadway in a oh that would be please do please they didn't she did an out her first album at Motown called for the first time it's produced by uh, Burt Bacharach and and Hal David it is a masterpiece it was it wasn't it was before it's it was time. before it's time it, and, and I, that's yeah. what Stephanie and I were talking about the other night at the at theater because um, we really were before our time yeah. and and the the audience was not acclimated to that exactly. sound. Exactly. Right. You know, right. If you, you should go back and listen to that album again. I, I plan to. You know, I thought seeing her was a sign because we've been looking for someone for this role. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, yeah. perfect. Oh, Bringing my. her back to Broadway in a show-stopping number. I can't wait. That would be great. Now, we got a little bit more time with, with Suzanne DePass. We're going to take a break real quick, and we're going to wrap it up. Stay with us. Squatty Potty is a brilliant design. Brilliant, it real. It really makes so much sense when you really think about it. You know, it un- the way it works, it unkinks the colon right. so that you can eliminate all the waste properly. Because the normal way that you go to the toilet is all kinky. Right, right. Listen, I was, I'm reading this book uh, about uh, women who were having these babies in the turn of the century. Out in the field? Yeah, well, and you know what they did? They stood up they, and they squatted. They squatted, yeah. yes, yes. And the same thing works for other things that you want out of your well, body. Well, yeah, because what happens when you give birth? Poop. Do you really? Yes. I've never had a baby. I mean, I did not C-section. <laughs> My baby. But you don't poop when you have a C-section. No, you don't because you don't feel anything. You can't even feel your feet. <laughs> Listen, Squatty Potty comes in all shapes and sizes like Echo, Wood, a sleek teak finish. I have the sleek teak. Yes, girl. An adjustable bamboo one, a foldable porta squatty for the road. They have two sizes, a seven and a nine inch. Do you take one on the road with you? Um, No, but I'm looking at this portable one, a foldable I, one to take on the road. I think I want that. Yeah, I want it too, Squatty Can you Pony. tell them I want that? Yeah, we're telling them right now. Okay. <laughs> we each want one right now. And they actually gave us something new called Squatty Potty Clears, and those are the ones that are like Lucite. 
So they go with any decor? Yeah, you have that, right? I do have that yeah. one in my upstairs. It's a nine inch, so it's a little big. Uh-huh. But I make it work. <laughs> I make it fit. Very sophisticated. It is. Very chic. Squatty Potty doesn't just help you squat, though. They sell these brilliant toilet sprays that smell wonderful. And they have an incredible new bidet. Really? And the, yeah, the bidets are really easy to set up, so don't get freaked out. It takes literally 10 minutes of work to install in almost any toilet. Phenomenal. Costs 38 bucks. Better for the environment. Reduces weight. Blah, 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 you know, everything you need. Literally and arguably, arguably high English. It's a cleaner experience. So join the movement by visiting squattypotty.com with slash rue and receive a free bottle of Fruity Booties toilet spray with a, <laughs> with a purchase of $20 or more. I'll say it again. Fruity Booties. <laughs> Remember, a happy colon is a happy, happy life. life. We are back with Suzanne to pass so many questions. I, you know, so many legends, you know, and it's, and you're still, still, actually, as you were describing this, the definitions of still, I was thinking of a still for um, moonshine. Oh, right. right. There's, another yeah, there's, there's another one. One where you can go and get your, your drink on, right. you know. So um, what kind of projects are you working on now? What do you want? To do, I know that Daytime Divas, which mm-hmm. is on VH1 with Vanessa Williams again, who portrayed you in the Jackson story, it was called right. uh, what was it called? American the, Dream. American Dream. Jackson's an American Dream. Yeah, and actually, you know, really funny. You and I sat next to each other on a plane going That's to right. New York, and Vanessa Williams was in front of us. Right. Oh, it's no an way. interesting. I know that is symmetry. It does right. Paths with the same people. All I the auditioned time. for that Daytime Divas too. You did. I did for the Tashina Arnold. Ultimately got the role. Yes, but it was fun. Well, fun Suzanne oh, is producing. That. Yes, I auditioned. Produced yes. that that uh, that show. And what other things are you looking to do? More television, more oh, movies, more, Broadway. More, more, more all. Yeah, more all because I am undisciplined in my appetite, and I do not <laughs> specialize. If it raises a hair on the back of my neck, or it excites me and I can mm. shut my eyes and watch it while I'm reading it and mm-hmm. all that stuff. I want to do it. Mm-hmm. And I do not place a limitation on that. And, you know, my colleagues will get me some time and say, hey, there she goes again. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you never know. And I am such a fan of the audience because that's the vote that counts. Mm-hmm. So my job is to get things that I believe in and I love with other people past that person that's between me and the audience mm-hmm. because I accept their vote more than I accept somebody in a room saying, well, I don't know. I don't think it could work. Right, right. You know, so. How has the audience changed, though? You know, you've been in the business for a long time, and uh, obviously formats change. You know, people are streaming on for television, and, and they get music a different way mm-hmm. today. How has the audience changed? I think the audience has principally remained the same in terms of what they want, which is to be entertained and to feel something, to laugh, to cry. You know, they want to be in some way affected by investing their time. Mm -hmm. But I think what has changed is the method by which those things are delivered because Mm -hmm. each of us now is our own radio station Mm -hmm. and we're our own television station and Mm -hmm. we're our own movie studio. So as we collate those things in the course of a day, we may decide um, to read a book on tape and then play a video game and then watch a couple of episodes of something Mm -hmm. and then listen to some music while we're playing a video game, you know, there's mm-hmm. my godson multitasks in a way that would fry my brain, mm-hmm. right? Because the video game is going and the sports channel is on his television and yet the music on, on silent and the music is in his earphones. And they're doing homework. 
and on top of it. Please God. Mm. You know? <laughs> but I mean, it's so the audience. I don't. I know from the wonderful feeling you get when you stand in the back of a screening and the audience laughs when you anticipated they might, and mm -hmm. then they educate you by crying where you didn't think they would. You know, mm -hmm. there's so mm -hmm. much to be learned mm -hmm. when you get to do that. And that to me is, is the, the soul food of really having an effect on people mm -hmm. that is positive and that is, you know, um, not everything is supposed to be uplifting and joyous, sure. but, but you know, where you're, you, you are entertaining and informing and hopefully changing the hearts and minds of people who may not be 100% um, agreeable in sure. terms of their humanity in terms of what I think is agreeable. <laughs> when did you know that you, the, your ability to, the, the, you know, talked about the hairs on the back of your neck and, mm -hmm. and knowing how to trust your intuition about things. When did you become uh, secure in knowing that that was the thing, that was the thing that you could transfer from, uh, you know, booking bands at a, a nightclub to uh, signing acts to a record label to producing TV shows or movies or whatever. When did you know that that was the thing? I don't think I ever knew, really. Mm -hmm. I think, um, I just think I, I wanted to keep looking forward, you know, and mm -hmm. I wanted to keep, well, hey, this worked, so let me try something else, you mm -hmm. know, and let me, you know, but Barry Gordy gave me the greatest opportunity anybody could have ever had in their lives. It was like a candy store of opportunity, you mm -hmm. know, it was just unbelievable. And I think I took the bit in my teeth and I just went for it. But I don't think I, I don't think today I even, I have confidence, I have experience, and I have an appetite for tomorrow and today. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, like really know, I just believe. Mm-hmm. What would he say is your forte? What would Barry Gordy say? <laughs> I know is... what he'd say. Getting along with him. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds is right. Is it hard to get along with him? Well, you know, um, let's put it this way. He's mellowed these, mm -hmm. a little bit, mm -hmm. not a lot. But, I mean, he was tough. And I call him my mentor and my tormentor. Mm -hmm. because <laughs> I love that. Because he was tough. Tough. tough like did you ever think i'm getting away from this guy i'm gonna well I my gotta... mother you know i remember my mother saying to me i'd been there about eight or nine years and had cried most of that time mm -hmm. <laughs> you know our tears of sadness i was just frustrated <laughs> <laughs> you know? she was like good jesus of nazareth are you ever gonna stop crying you know that was her uh -huh. thing like leave yeah and i said i can't i can't yeah <laughs> you know, very clutch the pearls yeah Mm -hmm. But um, so, so so he's tough. Um, do you think he, in hindsight, did he have to be that tough? You know, um, probably because of his personality. Mm -hmm. I mean, he he had a lot on him. Sure. You know, and a lot of expectations placed on him. And as the business began to change and things. But I mean, he thought nothing of dressing you down in front of a room full of people. Mm -hmm. wow. I mean, that was just... That's mm -hmm. a lot to handle. It takes yeah. a special mm -hmm. person to handle. And uh, I wasn't the only one getting it. Sure. But, mm -hmm. you know, I feel like you could sit on a dime and swing your legs. It's just like down to there. Was it Was it justified? I mean, hindsight, was it... Did he have to... I never thought it was justified. Never thought. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but, uh, you know, one thing I did learn from him, and that was that in the, let's call it the palace, yeah. and the intrigue of the palace, 
that if I got to him with a mistake or a something that didn't happen properly, mm-hmm. even if it wasn't my mistake, mm-hmm. if I got there first, it empowered him because everybody else was running to tell it. And if he could say, I know, she told me. Right, right. So that was a big part of my building confidence with him Mm -hmm. is because he didn't use it against me. He used it for us, basically, and and to protect me. Yeah. And and that was something that I thought was was kind of genius. He also trusted you. And still does, I'm sure. And and I trusted him. And you could be his eyes and ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he knew that I was 100% loyal to him. Did you have any say in the Motown musical? Uh, in the early days, I mm-hmm. was involved, and then you know he had to take it to New York, and you know I have a company to run, and mm-hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't really participate. I'm a character in it though, mm-hmm. and I told him, "How dare you put me in that ugly wardrobe? <laughs> <laughs> I never dressed like that a day in my life." <laughs> So that's all I saw was what the fuck is she wearing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was just like, like thank you, thank for you that. very yeah. much. You know. Now before we and, close, yeah. I just want I, I, can you a, a story about Diana Ross because you know I'm a big <laughs> course, Diana Ross right. fan yes. and uh, you know and I listen you know I can be objective about Diana Ross you know I understand that I I'm in love with the uh, the image of her but mm-hmm. also I know her personally I know that she's a human being and that that the two are separate things mm-hmm. um is there a story you could tell um, on the air that um, I don't know that uh, I wouldn't know about oh yeah <laughs> I'm sure you get there, but what we can tell on the but, air yeah but I, no, yeah most of them could be told on the air first of all I think um, having been her maid of honor and then her matron of honor at both of her weddings, Mm -hmm. um, we did enjoy a very close friendship after a while. Mm -hmm. But the first time that I was there um, at the Ed Sullivan Theater, back to the old Ed Sullivan Theater, and Barry Gordy, now I'm his creative assistant, taking down everything that he thinks he wants to tell somebody and what else I might want to help him tell Uh So we're in the dressing room, and it's Mary, Cindy, Diana, and the mirrors, you know, with the things, and, mm-hmm. and all the exposed pipes sure. in the old theater. And so in those days, they used to do a hit and a standard. Mm-hmm. They'd do two songs on Ed Sullivan. So they had their costume for the hit, but Saks Fifth Avenue had sent over three sets of dresses for the standard. Mm-hmm. And so everybody's putting on their makeup and and Diane says, as she called him, Black, what dresses do you think we ought to wear? And he looks at me and says, I don't know, what do you think? At which point she takes her uh, makeup brush, brush. Yeah, her uh, blush brush, throws it at the mirror and says, what are you asking her for? She don't know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Diana designed the dresses that you, the character wears in the Motown music. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and he said, um, maybe you better wait outside. Uh-huh. And then I found my dime and I sat on it. And I yeah. Yeah. Um, How long now did this it is, t- this is This is the woman who named her first child. Yes. Rhonda Suzanne. Yes. Mind you. But yeah. that's how we started. Yeah. How long did it take from that moment to, to the point where she was naming her, her child after <laughs> uh, you? A few years. A few years. Yeah. Because she I felt mean, territorial. I, I, but you know what? It wasn't that we didn't have great times even 
the next day. Mm -hmm. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? But mm -hmm. but I think it was he was her man at the time. Mm -hmm. And she was asking him a girlfriend question. Sure. Mm -hmm. And yeah. he was passing it off to the new girl. Mm -hmm. You know, right. that's enough to make anybody. It is. That she was being right? territorial. <laughs> yeah. She's yeah, marking right. her territory. Yeah. Right. yeah. Oh, my but, goodness. Yeah. But, I mean, there, there are a gazillion uh, adventures that we shared. Um, but the... Um, the beginning was a bit rough. I would think, yeah, you know. And we had been friendly before that, but that, and that's why it surprised me so much is because, you know, we hung out. And stuff. Yeah. It's interesting. Michelle was in a girl group for a long time and, you know, girl groups, the, the, the dynamics between women in Ooh. that situation, it's almost hard to invest you uh, as a as a consumer in your time in a girl because you think you know they're not going to stay together that no. long. And I was a baby, so that helped me. Yeah, because the other I was nineteen and the other girls were twenty five and twenty six. Wow. So they, in a sense, I was just like I just want to do whatever I yeah. want. Yeah. It was like one of the worst deals on the, in history. Um, but I didn't care. Yeah. Because I was going to be a star. And nobody was going to stop me. Yeah. Whereas they thought everything through. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I wanted to go out and have fun. They were like, I want to go back to the hotel and sleep. You knew right from the beginning that we were doomed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you just yeah. knew. But it is hard to invest because you know they're not going to last. Yeah. Well, well, there isn't one that has. No. no probably but... the Andrews sisters. Right, right, right. And oh, weren't yeah, they sisters? Yeah. Didn't they have sisters, to? Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for us. having me. So much fun. And so <laughs> many. So I, I'm looking forward to this book. You know, get somebody to collaborate with you and get it out because it's yeah. important yeah. it's important for no, the... I, I i need to get on my horse about that true i love it well thank you suzanne thank you, so thank much. you. So lovely thank i had a ball good that was amazing yeah. and michelle visage until next time my yes, dear my darling bye. bye can i get an amen can i get an amen if you can't love yourself how in the hell you gonna love somebody else? Can I get a name, man? And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. If you can't love yourself, how in the hell you gonna love somebody else? Amen. Hey, hey,